There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. In 2018, the Marvel Cinematic Universe turns 10 years old. Avengers Infinity War draws near. And in an attempt to make sense out of all that's happened up to this point, we find two intrepid individuals. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate and mild-mannered comic book and podcast enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson, morning radio announcer in Sullivan County, upstate New York, with an inordinate amount of catching up to do in his own comic book universe. Alone, they stand apart. Duh. But together, they are the Marvelists. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar. You'll behold in breathless wonder the God of wonder, When lame Dr. Donald Blake strikes his wooden walking stick upon the ground, it becomes the mystic mallet Mjolnir and Blake is transformed into the Norse god of thunder, master of the storm and the lightning, heir to the throne of immortal Asgard, the mighty Thor. Welcome everyone to The Marvelists, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Now, first off, before we get into the subject matter at hand, how can people get a hold of us on social media? Tell us. Go on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Go on Twitter at The Marvelists. Follow us on there. Follow myself at Peter Melnick. Or myself at EWilson959. You can also find us on Instagram at The Marvelists. And you can also email us at TheMarvelists at gmail.com. So, Eddie, before we get into the episode, what did you think of uh, the trailer that just dropped today on January 30th for Ant-Man and the Wasp? On Mario, I thought it was great. Yeah. It's definitely whetting the appetite for what some people might say is a long-awaited sequel, because you knew that it would be continued with the ending of Ant-Man and having Evangeline Lee come back, of course, in the role of the Wasp, Paul Rudd, Ant-Man, Michael Douglas, Hank Pym, and the name escapes me, but Paul Rudd's daughter was in the trailer as well, and a couple of great scenes from the wasp flying around to different things being shrunken or enlarged. How about that? Hello, Kitty Pez dispenser. Personally, I was partial to the the building suitcase. That was the coolest oh, thing. The, the carry-all, like, like you would see airline staff pilots or stewardesses, flight attendants, carrying with the, the extended handle and the low-profile suitcase it was a, it was a building they're shrunken. definitely playing it up to the hilt with the size jokes and everything you oh, know, yeah. the whole concept of shrinking and everything and i think it's again it's really smart and you know we're going to see different ways being tiny can be utilized in this film like my favorite moment from the first one and when we get when we get to the ant-man episode when we start phase 3 which is still a weird thing to you know even think about I it's know. ways yeah. away yeah it led to my favorite moment in the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe of the fight on the train. And it was actually just a Thomas the Tank Engine uh, train set. Right. Okay. I was thinking of the train, the train. Hold it. Yes, that train. The kitty t- train set. Absolutely. With with Yellow Jacket. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we're going to be seeing a lot more interesting things like that. You know, just utilization of that level of humor. Although I feel it's going to be a bit iffy because we're losing Edgar Wright, who wrote the script... And a lot of the heart of that movie was through him. But it's Marvel. Maybe they can make up for it with a different director and different writer, you know? Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll see how that all unfolds. And some just regular, so to speak, <laughs> viewers will, as a sub 
secondary thought, not to discredit anybody who's contributing to putting a motion picture out, may not be overly paying attention to, oh, who did that? Or that's the style? Or, you know, not to say everything's under a microscope. Ha ha. But <laughs> I hadn't even considered, okay, well, who was the person who did that? And this writing style? And, and how come these angles and shots are being used? Continuity takes many forms and shapes, size, and if the, uh. the line of the story can continue through without realizing somebody's missing or gone, it's not like the character of War Machine, where it was obvious the character changed, but I digress. You digest? I do after a good meal of dinner. Are you kidding me? Can't that, do a podcast without it. That looked like a delicious dinner you had today. You, <laughs> yes, the pot roast and the mashed potatoes. Very, very good. Now, Eddie, on top of the Ant-Man trailer getting released the day before we recorded, the premiere for the Black Panther happened, and man, these people hated this movie. No, I'm just kidding. They loved it. Where were you? Yeah, That's not what I heard. Yes, no, the good, very good reviews from the preliminary viewing of that, and thumbs up, paws up, Panthers up, whatever. I think it's going to be a really great film to add to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and doing... Even in the trailer that I've seen, something different with the costume, just by way of T'Challa being able to demask, almost with a push of a button, like an Iron Man, possibly, or even more so a Star-Lord. Star Prince? I love Star Prince. Star Prince. Yeah, okay. You distort. I, with Spoderman? I digress. You distort. With Spoderman? With Spoderman. But yeah, so... And the feedback for this movie has been, like I said, spectacular. And one of the people that was in attendance for the movie was Lawrence Fishburne, who will be playing Dr. Bill Foster in Ant-Man in the Wasp. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was said that he's sitting there in the theater the entire time going, oh-ish, oh-ish, oh-ish. He's excited about this movie. Oh, I thought he had to go. Number, (laughs) you know, number two. (laughs) (laughs) No, he was having a good time with the movie. And or didn't have a change of underwear. (laughs) Or under ruse. So that's it. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's really, really funny that, you know, the feedback for this is as spectacular as it was because I thought it would be maybe subdued a little bit. Like, it was a good movie. No, it's being heralded as the as the best one of the Marvel Universe. They're really looking... Uh, I just read the most recent Entertainment Weekly and saw how, and I don't remember her name, costume designer, broke down into about six different areas of types of garb that the people of this African nation of Wakanda would wear. And and the symbolism behind it, trying to portray a futuristic type city that has all this technology, but retaining some of the deep roots of the culture, the background that could be found in a land such as this, fabricated to an extent as it may seem, but really, really going for the details and I think it's achieving them and explaining how certain headdress or, or like I said, apparel will be uh, portrayed and what the significance of them and the composition, putting together the intricacies of these things. And that was just me kind of glossing over it. But it's going to be really a, a visual star-studded fun fest, I think, just looking at these at these costumes, just that component of what we'll see in that part of the movie. I think overall it's going to be a visual spectacular from a CGI standpoint because what is Wakanda known for? It's tech, Mm -hmm. you know? And just knowing that this is going to be this kind of movie where it's like, you know, a reliance on, you know, the future and all this. I was going to say vibranium. (laughs) Wakanda known for, okay. They're going to knock it out of the park from a uh, storytelling standpoint too. Like, there's a lot about it that yep. I'm excited for. Yep. And they can layer in probably other things that they might not uncover that could even be maybe uh, later on in the future and something else that, oh, by the way, throw something else that you didn't really hear about, but they'll, t- they'll tie it in to make it relatable. And, okay, sure, we'll go with that kind of thing. Now, do you feel overall that we're going to see an influx of that character of Black Panther following this movie. Meaning? Like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there's going to be more appearances of him. Like he could be like a newer kind of Tony Stark or Captain America where they he randomly appears in films. Uh, hard to tell. Hard to tell. Anybody that's randomly appeared in films would be Deadpool. <laughs> huh. 
and that's kind of a given. Okay, when's he coming? Not to be, not that it's going to be expected all the time, but I mean, at least in within the year or so ago that Logan was out, that the trailer that the movie. Well, when the when the when you thought the movie was starting, it was actually a long trailer for the second Deadpool movie. And it kind of bummed me out when I saw the movie because that Deadpool trailer, they didn't release it on the uh, DVD and Blu-ray, if I oh, remember correctly. Oh well, okay, okay, yeah, go figure on that. And the funniest thing is the one we saw in theaters was not as R-rated as the one we saw online afterwards. Like, they did an extended cut of that. Yes, I'd heard about that. I did not see the uh, the extended cut, though. Personally, I'm still partial to the Deadpool 2 trailer where he's dressed as Bob Ross. Well, sure. <laughs> so, happy little trees, happy little trees. And, you know, speaking of Fox with those movies, by the way, when it eventually comes to fruition with the whole Disney-Fox merger happening, we're going to be seeing a certain group of merry mutants enter the Marvel Cinematic Universe one day, and, and it will merry, happen. Merry they are. It definitely will happen. But in the meantime, who do you want to see play some of these characters? Do you think a Ryan Reynolds will reprise Deadpool? Do you think a Hugh Jackman will reprise Logan? Ryan, yes, definitely should be definitely built the start of the foundation with with this character Hugh Jackman maybe just the opposite happening if what we hear is true that he's done with the character right I thought maybe Logan was his last Wolverine portrayal I stand by it was like the most amazing swan song for a character ever yeah yeah it was it was very very intense in uh, several several ways on a, on a mental level, on a, I think, physical level, for seeing all the physicality and, and the intenseness and the, in the you know, there's gore, there's violence, there's, you know, that's all the things that make it uh, stand out. Well, think about it like this. We saw, you know, 17 years of character evolution. Yep, we did. And, and then we see the end. Came, yeah. So yeah. that's, it's like an emotional roller coaster. Like, you have to watch all of these movies to build up to his demise. Yeah, that's that's really succinctly the way to uh, the way to put it. But I don't think that Logan is is really for everyone in uh, in a way or two, because of its being so intent and it can relate to some people to to, to heart. And really, I hesitate, but I but I say directly, I mean that in terms of portraying Professor Xavier with Alzheimer's, right. And if you're somebody who knows somebody who's dealt with, had to take care of someone with this, it strikes true to to your heart and, and has a disturbance factor in there as well. So a little forewarned if you haven't seen that and know someone who's going through this. But to just imagine the fact of this most powerful mutant to have this affliction and thereby you see several times throughout the film not being able to control it until being you know subdued is yeah it's it's emotional oh yeah definitely as is at least one scene that i will reveal in our review this week of thor wow <laughs> i'm so that's sorry. unreal that that hammer decided to take a time out give it a try now eddie we'll have to try it again without 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 giving it a whack that was now that's the kind of thunder i'm talking about we'll get back to you that was technical difficulty all right. Maybe I wasn't worthy for a second there. I don't think so. Well, I mean, like me during Facebook Live with the hammer where I you know, tried to flip it up in the air and it and flew around the room, literally. Meow, meow, flew. Just about without its yeah, owner attached to the thong of it, the end of it. Now, my thing is with the X-Men and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, who could some of the characters be that you could see utilized? Could you see the Chris Claremont original team where it's Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Colossus, well, sure. I'd love to see that team. Like, I think so. Screen. You're not going to use is it Warpath. I'm thinking of. I believe so. Oh, he was in. Was he a new mutant? Thund oh, Thunderbird. Bird. Yeah, Thunderbird. Probably Thunderbird because he's deceased. I didn't even know he was. So sick. that was yeah. It was a sudden thing. <laughs> so right there, you know, you'd probably want to not. Although, you know, I think of the X Men Apocalypse movie, and how. That character was somewhat portrayed in there, and even to an extent in uh, in the gifted that I'm 
slowly watching now three episodes in, I believe that you know that you can't you can't bring them all in. That's for sure. So we're trying to figure out what team you would use, but definitely Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Cyclops and Wolverine. Um, why not Iceman kind of thing, and go from there. And then you could bring in other one, Banshee, like we said. Bring in other ones later on. We haven't seen Banshee since First Class, I believe. Yeah. Why not? I agree, and I think what I what I am interested in seeing with all of this is who they could bring in, who they will cast, you know? Like, I've seen discussion, and one person said, if we never see Patrick Stewart as Professor Xavier ever again, who it's could okay. it be? Who could it be? And the one that I saw, and man, oh man, I never thought of that, and like my mind was blown was Brian Cranston. And yes, it's a cliche. Give him give it to him because he was a bald guy in a TV show and he knocked. But he has that level of intensity where he could be a good Charles Xavier. Yeah, I would say so. Absolutely. You know? I'm thinking bald guy and who and who and I'm, I'm all of a sudden Michael Chiklis popped into my head. Doesn't Michael Chiklis pop in all of our heads? Uh no. Thank goodness. Yes. But yeah, I think overall It'll be interesting to see how they interact, how they incorporate them, because maybe one day, like, the end of Avengers 4, which, man, that's going to be weird. Because we may be losing characters. We're going to lose characters and gain some, essentially. We don't have a working subtitle for that, do we? It's just right now, Avengers 4 will probably get it revealed before next year. Yeah, and it probably won't have a number attached to it officially in print. It'll be Avengers the fourth one. Great. Just like ours is the fourth one. What do you know? It is, is the that fourth a, one. Is that a segue now? I th- that's a good segue. I like that. It's a little thing that you can ride on in the mall. No, with a helmet like Paul Blart, mall cop. Paul Blarshin, the Martian. But wow. I, tr- I try because I've got a need for speed. Yeesh. Shaking a newspaper as I say it. Our movie we're going to be discussing today is 2011's Thor. You were saying. Blah, we are going to talk about Thor in Transylvania. Thor's in Transylvania? Now he is. This man gets around. <laughs> Norse well, god and otherwise. Thanks to Meow Meow. Mjolnir. Mjolnir. Anyway. So, Thor has been a character that, if we're being honest, much like Hulk... When I was growing up, I never really had much of an interest in the character, but then the movies came along and kind of changed my opinion on that. And with Thor in 2011, I watched it back in the day, you know, maybe... Actually, I never watched Thor until, I want to say, 2013 or 2014. Okay. So a little late to the party on that, but it is what it is. And I dug the movie, but it what didn't leave like like that much of a lasting impression. This second viewing, though, definitely changed things for the better. And when we get to our review, it's not a surprising review and everything. So when it happens, it happens. But Eddie, Thor is a character that was created in the 1960s, technically, by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. Yes. But is a part of Norse mythology and everything. So there's that element of the character. So he's, he's a character from Marvel, but he's also a character that actually coexists in all forms of media, even in DC Comics. Yeah, so there's even some uh, basis in fact or some kind of semblance of reality. It wasn't something that it was branded as Marvel's own. They borrowed from and took it in their direction. So in that way, you might even say, this could be the oldest Marvel character. Yeah, older than Cap, older than Namor, older than the OG Human Torch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. And, you know, like, he's also not the first, he's not, you know, the only character like this. You have Dracula who is obviously not part of Norse mythology, although how great would that be? No, but he he does come into the Marvel Universe as well, having had at least one of his own comic book titles. Frankenstein's Monster, Hercules. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, you have all these different characters, and they're utilized through other means. They're like public domain characters, essentially. Right, and then some liberties get taken, like, oh, Morbius, I suppose, the living vampire. You have Werewolf by Night. Oh, yeah. 
Okay. Now we're going yeah. in a different direction, but that's, you know. A spooky direction. That's okay. Wait, it, lightning cracks. We it's, need lightning for that. It's haunting. You know what? I, I need I need really better timing here. I guess it was wrong. That's a, that's a good meow here. Spooky. Mm-hmm. Spooky meow meow. <laughs> anyway. Thor also made live action appearances in The Incredible Hulk, but it was only through the, I believe, made-for-TV movies, if I remember correctly. Oh, wow. That's something I don't remember too much about, but yes. And probably, if they didn't, I'm I'm guessing they probably did go toe-to-toe or have a little fight combat between the two of them, Thor and the Hulk, which is classic in issue number 10 of The Defenders that, you know, got fleshed out. Also in a future movie that we will go back to, which is, of course, the first Avengers movie, the conflict that those two had, and a couple of fun, funny scenes where it was thought that they were getting along side by side. They defeated the enemy, and Hulk just punches out Thor off off screen, off camera. And it's interesting with the character because, you know, after that, you know, when he appears in the Incredible Hulk stuff, he disappeared for a while. But he was actually in development for movies for years. Oh, boy, yeah. And, you know, Sam Raimi, the man behind the Evil Dead movies, as well as Dark Man and this little-known film called Spider-Man. Spider-Man. He pitched, you know, to all these different people that he wanted to make this movie, you know, to 20th Century Fox, and they didn't want to do it. And then eventually, you know, it was, like, abandoned for years and years and years. And then Fox decided, you know what, we're going to just give this a try. And... It was actually supposed to be a TV show. Oh, boy. Okay. No, I don't think I really that, realized that. So going from, you know, that from like tele or from the big screen to the small screen, and then that was just not going to happen, although it was going to air on UPN. Oh, boy. Which okay. I don't know how I feel because this is around the time of stuff like Hercules, Xeno Warrior Princess. Could Thor have worked in that kind of level? I don't think so, and I, I wouldn't want to. No, maybe it could have worked because you already had those two characters. But by the same token, or the other side of the coin, you could say, what, another one? Maybe that's why it might not have worked. And you know who was supposed to play him on the uh, TV version if it was to happen? No. Tyler Maine, you know, former pro wrestler and Canadian actor. Oh, wow. Who went on to play Sabretooth in okay. the first X-Men movie. there you go. Right, right. Well, could have worked, possibly. He has the I look. I see that. Yeah, yeah. At least going by only having seen him in the Sabretooth role. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know how he, you know, you got to be this over-the-top dramatic kind of character, at least for that interpretation, you know? And things things work differently, you know? Like, it was going to be brought over, you know, to Artisan Entertainment. They were going to do it, and then it, they just said, screw it, and decided, you know, not to do it. And Sony actually, for a time, owned the film rights to Thor. Oh. So we would have seen Thor in a cinematic universe with... Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, and Nicolas Cage's Ghost Rider. Now, you get those all together. Whew. They're a team. We just don't know what they're called, but we they're a team. We don't know what they're... Yeah, that's right. Weenie, Firehead, and uh, 1980s hair metal guy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. yes, I'm calling Tobey Maguire Spider-Man a weenie, because he really was a weenie. <sighs> Mary Jane. Anyway. and a teenager, full of angst. And the funniest thing was David Goyer was actually supposed to write and direct the movie. Mm-hmm. And David Goyer, you might know, for his work in the DC, ECU, and also a little-known film that might have started all of this, you know, the genesis of all this stuff, kind of, over the past, you know, 20 years, Blade. Blade, yeah. So he was known for that, and he was going to do a Thor movie. And I don't know how I would have felt of a Thor movie done by him. Because Goyer is good for dark. He's very good for dark. Look at Blade. And look at how he wrote a lot of the stuff for the DCEU. It's very grim and dark and gritty. Mm-hmm. Thor would not benefit from that, in my opinion. No, probably not. I agree. And you kind of have to have levels of lightheartedness to it. And that's what Thor is in some instances. Yeah, it, yes, true. You know, I've seen it in the comics very, you know, happy, fun. And it's just different. You know? Yes, it is. And we can only speculate again on what it could have been in that uh, other sense of it. And then, you know, at one point, they ended up moving from Sony. Paramount Pictures bought the rights to the film, you know, the film creation rights and all that. And 
off to the races they went. And then you have Guillermo del Toro, who was supposed to direct Thor at one point, known for Blade Two, Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, Pacific Rim, etc., etc., including Best Picture nominee, The Shape of Water. So he's doing, you know, he was going to go on to do a Thor movie, and it never came to fruition, which is a shame. Even though you know he was like a humongous fan of the uh, Jack Kirby run, and a, you know a Loki fan as well to boot. So imagine you know a fan behind this. It could have worked. You know, it could have, but it didn't. But, yeah, it didn't. It was not to be. And hilariously enough, he declined to work on the project to go work on The Hobbit. Another thing he didn't finish and work on. Oh. So, and that's my little thing about uh, Guillermo del Toro. I love the guy. I like his movies. But the guy has to actually finish a project every once in a while. Just every once in a while. (laughs) Like Justice League Dark that he was supposed to do. Okay. Yep. Anywho. Eventually, you know, Kenneth Branagh, famed actor and also director, went on to sign on for the film, and he is the guy that directed the movie that we're watching. Yep. And it's cool. It's really cool to see, you know, his take on the character, because let's be real. After seeing a movie like Thor Ragnarok fairly recently and then watching this, you do see elements of the character from Thor Ragnarok in this. You know what I mean? Because whereas Thor Ragnarok is a very lighthearted, over-the-top comedy, you still see a little bit of the heart of the Thor character. Yes, and this is where you have to get the foundation established to know who he is about, or at least somewhat of what he is about, and go from there and build it from there. I would say the character of Thor, the evolution of Thor, is a character who gets a bigger and bigger head throughout the series. Because by the end of Thor, by when you're watching Thor Ragnarok, he l- is reveling in the fame. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. He's doing that in spurts throughout. And, and his triumphing and his victories and, and nobody can beat me and, you know. He starts out humble and keeps getting bigger and bigger with his ego. And it's an it's interesting thing to see. You know what? I can, I think I have to disagree with that. I don't think he starts off humble at all. Not, well, not, in, not in an opening first seeing Thor coming down the, the, the palace hall to the cheers of the crowd because he has bested the enemy and is about to be coronated king and repeating that he swears to uphold you know all the beliefs and maintain the order in the nine realms, that kind of thing. He's not humble. True, true. I don't think he's, he's all that in a bag of chips. Then I take back what I said. <laughs> but it's, okay. just, it's just, I would say he isn't humble, but it's less of an ego than it was, although he does have an ego. And I'm not talking about a living planet. No, he's got this cockiness, assuredness of himself. It gets bigger and bigger as the movies proceed. Yeah. And I feel, you know, that's an an interesting character progression. You know, even if you say it it gets bigger and as as it goes, uh, his character evolves. But maybe it's in check, I think, more so, because with this first movie, with Thor from 2011... He's taken down a peg or three by being banished, by being stripped of his garb, his costume. Not his pants. All his, all the metal accoutrement and and the cape, of course, and the hammer that he, you know, he's mortal. He realizes his limitations. He cannot lift this hammer. He's not worthy. He's like a regular, normal earthling. He's retained strength. But it takes quite a bit for him to realize what it means to be virtuous, be be worthy, etc. So he has to be taken down a notch, a peg, to uh, to learn the humility aspect. And he does. And I think from there, yes, the ego grows, but he can temper that with the good that he truly does. And not just for fame and revelry and recognition. Well, now, what I want to know is, you know, he becomes a regular person, and they use a name for him. And if you're aware of the comics, Thor has a different origin than the movies. Eddie, what I want you to do is enlighten the people what the origin of Thor is in the comics. The origin of Thor in the 60s had to do with a physician who uh, 
he needed a, a cane to get around. I don't recall the origin of his his ailment, Doctor Donald Blake. Uh, that while while away came across of all things the spacecraft that had landed in a distance far away from and these rocky stone men that wanted to uh, take over the earth. He he was spotted by stepping on a twig in the woods where he was peeking through and seeing what these stone men were up to, was going to be captured, ran into a cave, found a walking stick on sort of a, a rocky surface. Of, I'm thinking of an altar of sorts. Accidentally hit it on the ground and became Thor with the hammer that he was found worthy to, to hold. And that's how it starts. There's also an interesting fact that if he separated from the hammer as he is Thor for 60 seconds, he would revert back to the lame, and I mean of a physical nature, not a personality, <laughs> Dr. Donald Blake. So that's happened. That was perpetuated not only in the comic in the beginning, but also in the 1966 animated TV series. And such was the, the humble beginnings of, of this character. And it, and it wastes no time in the comic book, in establishing his half-brother Loki, the god of mischief, and him being, Loki being jealous of Thor and wanting to usurp whatever power he might possess. Now, one of the things about that is they didn't use that for the comics, like I said, for the Donald Blake character. But they did give it a nod. Do you think the reason being is it's so over the top that it doesn't hold up? It's, uh, if you mean by saying over the top, far-fetched sort of, and you, yeah. you really have to go to a great length to establish and bring that in, and you don't have all that time when you're making a movie. It's Shazam time is stick. money. Yeah. Golly. Well, I'm no. not talking about that Shazam. You can't. No, you couldn't include that. That's, that incorporates a different aspect, and that's the whole alien UFO thing coming in. And maybe in the 60s, you know, that was more of of a fad, a thing, that the whole UFOs. I think that was perpetuated in the mid to late 50s and into the 60s kind of thing. So, yeah, let's let's have stone men come in on an alien spacecraft, which actually kind of resembled the thing in the beginnings of the Fantastic Four. Right. But just different uh, structurally shaped characters that they that they were. So, no, it would not have worked. So they had to make it more relatable and, like, let's get this going and not take much time with it. And I want you to realize what you just said, relatable. Yes, like a Norse god coming from outer space. It's so relatable. <laughs> anyway. That's exactly right. I mean, I'll never forget when I was a Norse god back in the day. Good times. Good times. Revelry. Oh, there was so much mead and ale. The best. That was the Ren Fair. I remember when I ended up, you know, shooting a rubber band in Odin's eye. That's why it happened. Oh, now here we find. Oh, I can't believe I, I no. Screw are, your mythology. There are no words. But anyway, I also feel part of why this didn't happen was they didn't want to get another actor to be able to play somebody related to this character. You know what I mean? Because um, you have you would have Hemsworth and then actor who plays, you know. Donald Blake. So you're paying for two actors who are yeah. both the same level of importance. You know what? Nowadays you would probably go that route and have two separate individuals. But when you do a TV movie, for example, it would still be the same person. Right. To take on both uh, both roles. So, all right. Yeah, there would be that. That's a budget. Another aspect of a budgetary constraint, getting another person on the payroll, as well as taking the time and resources to develop how this origin comes about. Now, one thing also that is interesting about this movie during the production of it all, we were going to have a different actor playing this. And I don't know if you know this, but the original actor that was going to play Thor, but then turned it down, was Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig? And you well, might know Daniel Craig by another name, Bond. Yes, one of the James Bond incarnations mm -hmm. of more recent time. The latest Bond, if we will. Okay, we will. We will. We shall. And we did. <laughs> and I think overall, we got a different kind of character. And honestly, when I look at Daniel Craig, I don't see Thor whatsoever. Well, you've never seen him in long hair, I guess, so. Still. No, I don't <laughs> want... Lighter would, long hair. And he doesn't have the build for it. Not at all. Like, Thor is this big muscular guy with long hair and... 
Hemsworth is that completely. Yep. And then you know you have Tom Hiddleston coming in as Loki, and man, the reception to these characters over the years, especially the actors who play them, the female fan base is absolutely insane. The love that they have for these two characters and these two actors. Sure. It's they it, Marvel will be shooting themselves in the foot if they don't reek if they don't keep Thor after since Hemsworth's contract expired. He's been so immersed like Robert Downey Jr. in the character, you can't think of anybody else that could possibly be to portray them. Well not just that, but like I said, the people that are going to these movies are going to see them. Yeah. They don't want to see anybody else and if they lose them, they lost a lot of paying customers. So they have to keep Hemsworth. They have to keep Hiddleston. And to see these characters interact with each other, that's one of the biggest things in these films that I love the most. The brother dynamic is perfect. Just the bratty little brother and the, you know, the cool older brother that, you know, is the favorite. And you're gonna, and then you have that in real life too. So you have the brothers that will get along, and sometimes, sometimes they won't. They'll bicker, they'll fight. This is just taking it to a higher degree, of course, because that's what a movie will do. And such is the nature of the characters to go over the top with it, almost like a Steve Winwood higher, higher love. Oh wow, what a segue that was! It sure is. Can I call you Valerie now? If you want, I don't actually. So okay, we'll just good. Leave it at that and give you a strike. <laughs> Moving right along. Are we going to be in a Studebaker with a, uh, with a frog and a bear? Yes, exactly. That's funny. <laughs> I didn't know you do a Fozzie. Waka waka. Anyway. <laughs> so, Eddie, with this movie, Pizza. we also have the level of we need to connect these people, these over-the-top Norse gods, to regular everyday humans. And that's where we get... Natalie Portman. That's where we get Kat Denning. And that's where we get... Skarsgård. Stellan Skarsgård. That's kind of what I said. I know you can't pronounce the dot over the one letter. So umlau. That's that's two dots, I thought. Umlau. Anyway. Motley Crue. Umlau. True. Two times. I would say utilizing these characters helps out so much because they also, one, bring a lighter sense to the character, you know? They bring out the humor. They bring out the interaction with that, you know? Yeah. And, again, they're needed. They're absolutely needed. No, you can't just build it around a couple of characters. You got this whole this whole support system, and it works. You know, every time I've seen this movie, just a great flow, continuous... From scene to scene, yeah. That's one of the biggest things I took out of this movie for my uh, recent rewatch. Within the f- like the first 40 or so minutes flew by. Like, it was a well-paced movie. You have, again, that dynamic of interactions between all these characters that help out, you know? And it just works. Again, It that's the most important thing to say. It just works. And it's in some aspects, I'm thinking of how it started in the New Mexico desert at night with Natalie Portman and Kat Dennings and Skarsgård doing their research, seeing the event coming down from the sky, hitting Thor in the desert, and then them replaying how it got to that part. And then playing that scene again, because Natalie Portman at both times is saying after he was hit, he's down on the ground. Do me a favor. Don't be dead. And it's the adventures of Thor getting hit by cars. It, three times in the movie. Once, one, one's a, one, twice. Is, one is a repeat, same, same incident, but then again, backing up from having Thor having gotten himself out of his hospital bed and the other aforementioned three characters not being able to find him, backing up the van and just, bam, hit him again. But I swear I'm not doing this on purpose. Eddie, I'm going to be completely honest. I was worried that you were going to back up the car on Thor again. Why should I? You don't want to do that. <laughs> But I'm not driving. Who is driving? We're stationary. It's okay. Now, I feel, like I said, the pacing the of the movie. The need mo- for speed. I know. You said that already. Oh, no, no, no. The, <laughs> the pacing of the movie 
is one of the things that benefits the most from this. And I feel giving this movie rewatches, it helps. It actually, it has the Iron Man level of, I can watch this many, many times and enjoy it just as much as the first time, if not more. And I did. I enjoyed this movie way more than I did the very first time. Well, we'll find it in your ultimate one out of five review, way more. Oh, I will. Okay, Mr. Waymore. Oh, I will. Run back home, little princess. But when we see this, you know, we're all seeing the utilization of the villains of the Frost Giants, I believe, right? That's a good segue from when I just quoted you. <laughs> Eddie, what did you think of them as villains? Cold. <laughs> Damn cold. You don't say. They're planet of ice almost, yeah, yeah. They were good characters. I don't know that there's an equi- I'm sure there is an equivalent that I just can't think of right now to the comic book. But red-eyed and stone gray, cold, not Austin. <laughs> Thank you. That's my minor, very minor, low-key reference to anything wrestling-related. Low-key? Oh, very nice pickup. You might be worthy after all, Peter. Very well might be. Whoever holds his hammer, should he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. And I cool. have the power. Oh, wrong, wrong series. Isn't that Hawkeye? No, that yes. I'm, talk- I'm talking about He Man. Oh, sorry. And the masters of the universe. Wow, how many paths did we just start on here? I don't know. Okay, <laughs> back to where we weren't. Back to where we the started Frost from. Giants. Right back where we started from. Ah, uh, oh, Maxine Nightingale. Thank you. There we go, Eddie. Uh, but yeah, the Frost Giants. See, I didn't really care for the Frost Giants as villains, to be completely honest. Because they were, to me, they felt more like an afterthought compared to Loki. Loki was more of a big bad. You know what I mean? Sure, but you couldn't put them on the same level. So you had to have, in the course of making the movie, an adversary. And to tie Loki into the Frost Giants, he was one of them. So they had to be there. Absolutely. In serious numbers, because apparently for all the ones that Thor and Sif, Lady Sif and the Warriors 3 defeated, they came right back as if nothing had changed. Even after defeating that giant monster with a Mjolnir through the back of the head, mouth rather, in through the open mouth and out through the back of the head, it still didn't matter. They they were still going to be uh, tested their battle worthiness until Odin himself came through the Bifrost to stop what was happening. Now in this movie, we also see an actor who has been gaining momentum over the past few years, you know, with his role in the show Luther, with his most recent portrayal in The Dark Tower. Idris Elba plays Hemdal. Yep. And I feel... He is an actor who, if he was not in this movie, he would have benefited from being introduced in a later movie in a larger role. Because, like I said, he's getting a lot of momentum. He's very well known now compared yes. to you know, then. Yes. And I feel he's very much underutilized, although for what he is in the movie, he does play an important role but just not compared to what he really should. You know, when you know who this actor is, and you're like, wow, he's just that? Yeah, I don't recall if this was his first, air quotes, major appearance. In an American film? Yes, or at least coming to the attention of the American audience. But I think it suited him well as the gatekeeper. And he even had a little bit of humor in there when, when Loki becoming the ruler of Asgard, because Thor is banished, and his father, the Allfather, is in the Odin sleep that Loki takes the mantle of, of king, the burden of the throne, as he says, like as if this is what you wanted, Loki. But with respect to the gatekeeper of Idris Elba's character, uh, he has a he has a line in there when the Warriors three are looking to try to find and save Thor, and him saying, uh, "You wish to me to defy the last commands and go back to?" And they said, "Well, yeah, good." He he just he helps them. He helps them by leaving his sword that will activate the Bifrost in its 
stand, but walks away from it. So he's helping, but not exactly helping. So not quite defying. It's kind of a, maybe a white lie situation. Personally, out of all of his appearances in these movies, though, I feel like his best one is going to be when we discuss Ragnarok in a few weeks. In a while, Could a few be. weeks. I'll definitely need a, a rewatch on that because it was just November and only having seen it in the theater. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. No and... question, yeah. Complicated fellow, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Now, what I also want to know is, Eddie, what did you think of a certain Avenger who makes an appearance in this movie? His first appearance. Great. Great, subtle intro kind of thing, even though he... You see him as an archer, although he was possibly reaching for a rifle, but goes for the bow and arrow instead as Thor is attempting to get into the area that is uh, around where Mjolnir the hammer has landed and formed a crater to try and, and pick it up, essentially, to regain his power. And he has some great lines also in this uh, Clint Barton, although I think you just know him as Barton, that... That Phil Coulson yeah, Hawk from guy. S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, Hawk Guy, as you love to call him. Me and Matt Fraction on the Matt Fraction run of Hawkeye. Goody. Now we know. Thanks, Matt. But yeah, I think overall, it's nice to see, again, not that shoehorned in. It's just very subtle. Like, I didn't even realize, like, at a point that, you know, he's in this. You know, I forgot. No, right away, no. From the first viewing, didn't realize, hey, wait a minute. But then when you keep getting back to him, he has a, a, a higher advantage a vantage point, and it's and it's storming and raining and so on outside. But yeah, it's his first uh, his first appearance there, and him saying to his boss, you know, you want me to slow him down, sir, or are you just sending in more guys for him to beat up? That kind of you know, I'll let you know is the reply. Oh yeah, and I feel when it comes to introducing characters, you want to do it in subtle ways. You don't want to do it as a hey, everybody, look at this. You, no, no. So that's like a similar way when we first. Got the introduction of the Black Widow. Exactly. And it wasn't like... Not in that car- not in that role, but in her civilian, Natasha Romanoff, Natalie... What the heck was the... Portman. Port... No. No. Ah. Natalie. Natalie was Natasha Romanoff's alias. Right. Rasmussen. No. <laughs> hey, you never know. It's a furniture store for crying out loud. Okay. Ah. But yeah, I think... When we see these characters introduced in subtle ways, it makes you appreciate the big reveal that, oh, yeah, they are something, you know? Absolutely. Starting to root for this guy. And... Make the decision. And let me go a different way now. There's the introduction of another character, subtle, who you think is on the up and up and with glasses, official, suit and tie. Turns out he's part of Hydra, Agent Sitwell. Sidwell's in this? In Thor. He is. I completely forgot. That, like, slipped my mind. Yipper. Wow. We'll see him later as as a Hydra person. The same actor? Yes. Wow. Damn straight. That's cool. That's cool that the way they utilize these characters again. Just, it's the world building. It's the big, you know, reveal of everything down the line. And Marvel is good at that. Oh, yeah. Marvel likes planting seeds. Again, going back to our post credit scene from last week, you know, the whole scene that we, you and I discussed totally off mic about, you know, Peter Parker showing up. Yeah. It's the little things. And it's cool. It's really cool seeing these characters introduced in ways that, you know, are non-traditional, too. It's like backdoor entrances for these characters. Yeah. Yeah. Good way to put it. Yeah. So bone up on your rewatch, Peter. You I will. will. See, you will see Sitwell and say, oh, my God, there he is. He was right <laughs> all along. I can't believe it. He's a bad guy. We just didn't know it until three films later. You're, you're definitely good with the voices, Eddie. <laughs> if, if, you, if you snuck that on the air at least once, I would love you forever. <laughs> and cause a series of car accidents, perhaps. <laughs> Mostly in the Melnick Mobile. <laughs> It's just my face on the wheels, on the little rims. It's just like a picture of my head. <laughs> Spinning round and round and round. Where she stops, nobody knows. Anyway, anyway. I guess like this is going to, we're going to go towards our finish line for this. But Eddie, with the introductions of all, all these characters, both, you know, from a comic book-esque way and, you know, a human way of these characters, you know, the humans and the superheroes, it meshes everything so well, you know? You have this world where magic is real, and 
the way it's discussed, the way it's handed to you on a cinematic platter. Well, I think, uh, yeah, Jane Foster's character, or Natalie Portman's character of Jane Foster, saying how science is what they have, what they know. Magic is, I guess, science that they don't know. The way she qualifies or tries to make it relevant and, and tangible as far as that could possibly go. So, yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. Is there a Renaissance Fair in town, by the way, is where the agents in, in the city were was reacting to when the Warriors 3 were coming through with Sif? And, yeah, and he's and he's going back to the Sitwell character, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I got Xena, Jackie Chan, and Robin Hood here. And then true. they And then they find Thor. Found you! Mm-hmm. Do you think that a movie like this can be done with any other kind of character? Oh, I'd have to think about that, but um, what was done here was done very well. And a moving scene for me, I think, was, well, yes, it was sad to see that when the destroyer came, was wrecking the town, blowing up cars and the gas station and knocking people around, when Thor made his plea through the destroyer to Loki in Asgard, and the destroyer relented, but then turned back around and backslapped him, backslapped Thor to where he supposedly died which in turn awakened Odin from his sleep and caused Mjolnir to come out of its place in the crater and be reunited with Thor because he was then found worthy. That to me was a a gasp, choke up moment kind of thing. It's like they're back, they're together, and Lady Sif has the big smile on her face and so on. But it 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 may, it moves me, I think, every time I see it, to be quite honest with you, and not doing crocodile tears, but it's like, you know, it's like a little voice going, yes, and, you know, things will be right now. Now, what I also want to know is we're actually going to go rewind a little bit because we actually didn't discuss one actor who appears in this, Anthony Hopkins, who plays the role of Odin. Okay, right. It's very... He's to the back a little bit when you really think about it because he's not that much of a focal point. Well, when you say he appears, but that to me sounds like it's a cameo, which is not the case at right. all. He is not, I don't think, in the background. He's there when he needs to be, uh, especially in the beginning, establishing Asgard. He's narrating the thing from the beginning for crying out loud. Yeah. And telling you this is a place that's removed from Earth, it's the realms and you know the clouds backwards and we flip to the Asgard scene in the beginning and so on. And we find out who he is, and and maybe you get a glimpse of when he was younger, fighting uh, against the Frost Giants and for Jotunheim, and then seeing how he loses his his right eye. You you just see a gaping wound. Turns out it wasn't a rubber band in the eye. No, it was it was a whole armada of uh, rubber you know, bands with spikes on them, probably. Yeah. What rubber bands with spikes on them? Why not? Damn, that sounds painful. It's a movie. Yeah, well, it didn't look too pretty anyway. So there he goes. There he goes again. And we're going to be seeing, you know, his character throughout the Thor trilogy, which, again, yes. one of those things to say out loud, Thor trilogy. Never thought I'd say that. I kind of like saying that. It's two words that start with T, and that's fine. Know this. T squared. That's exactly right. And even the, 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 the subtle reference to when Thor, now having regained his power, his hammer, his costume, you know, it's a good look. As Natalie Portman says, Jane Foster. And Phil Coulson comes up and says, Excuse me, Donald, I, th- I don't think you've been quite honest with me. And the, the response is, Know this, son of coal. As if he twisted his name, Coulson, into son of coal. Just a fun little thing there. Now, Eddie, what I want to know is, overall, what did you think of this movie? You know, outside of it being a perfect movie, I'm going to come real close to it and give it 4.75. I'm giving it a 4.5. Okay. And I feel overall this is going to rank in at number two. This beats out Iron Man 2. This beats out by leaps and bounds The Incredible Hulk. Yeah, very leaps and bounds. Uh, Hulk smash! But the thing is this. It was very well paced to the point where it was a two-hour long film and it flew for me, kind of like I was being dragged by Thor's Meow Meow. Not on the ground, but flying, you mean, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, a different trend of a drag. It was a movie that was well-paced, well-acted, well-written. All of the characters interacted so well with each other. Yeah. And you want to see more of these characters, you know? You want to see them brought back, and you want to learn more about them. 
You I, also wanted to bring in, too, that I forgot earlier, that uh, Selvig, when all their scientific equipment had been taken, sitting on top of that restaurant, I believe the diner, saying, I knew the scientist, a pioneer in gamma radiation. S.H.I.E.L.D. found out. Haven't heard from him since. Yeah. Bruce Banner, anyone? And again, it's yeah. little subtle world building like that. Like, they all know each other. It all intertwines with each other. And that's why, like, the day it happens, when we start hearing about mutants in a sentence, it's going to be the coolest thing. Cool sentence, too. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. They're just going to be talking about Iceman, Bobby Drake, you know? How cool is that? Hey. Fonzie, <laughs> where'd you come from? <laughs> the, 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 the malt, the malt shop. fingers and said, hey, and he's hey. got chicks on his arms. I'm just going to randomly hit a jukebox. That's exactly right. Get some gauze, because I probably broke the glass. Oh. But anyway. And part of your hand, yeah. But you know, there's also another subtle thing, and that's in the post credit scene with, with Selvig and conversing with Nick Fury. But you get the sense of him being possessed, possibly, because the line that's repeated with Loki, supposedly, as a mirror reflection kind of thing. Well, I guess that's worth a look, referring to the Tesseract. Right. That's in the case. So is he, is he has he started to become taken over now by Loki? Quite possible. Yeah, they're making that possibility. Although it looked like Loki is lost after the Rainbow Bridge has been destroyed, which that by the way is one of the coolest visuals. That Rainbow oh, Bridge is the coolest thing. Well, it's officially really awakened Odin, and to the point where he did come to grab onto Thor, who was holding onto Loki, who in turn Loki let go to go off into the netherness of space at that point. Now, Eddie, once again, like I said, four and a half out of five four. yourself. Point seven five four and three quarters. I'm breaking it down more so. So I would say this is definitely a solid recommend. By the way, if you haven't seen this, if you're listening to this podcast and you got to this point, man, we spoiled the hell out of the movie for you. But still, you know, we can. We're thanking you for making it this far. But we do feel that you know Thor is definitely one of the best Marvel movies. I put in it. Put it in number four, The Incredible Hulk. Number three, Iron Man two. Number two, Thor. And number one. Iron Man. Very good. I give that two hammers up for that, actually. And a few lightning strikes to go with it. And before we go, we actually have some questions from people, listeners of the show and fans of ours on Facebook. We do. Jeff Ayers asks, was Natalie Portman the best choice for the role? Should they have spent more time in Asgard in that first movie? I know we've had more time since, but still. And is Hemsworth and Hiddleston the best pairing in the Marvel movie universe? So let's get to the first question. Was Natalie Portman the best choice for the role? I personally think so. Yeah, I'm not sure who else he, you, Jeff, would have considered in that. I think it was just well done. You do take liberty again with the character of Jane Foster, drastically different from the comic book because she's a nurse to Dr. Donald Blake. Right. And so you have that relationship already established. They know each other. She doesn't know. He becomes the Norse god of thunder. But... A completely different role. I mean, smart in both aspects by being a nurse. You got to be, although in a comic book, even in the series, I don't know. I, I get the sense of, oh, she's a girl. She doesn't know that much in general, but not the case. I mean, a nurse needs to know a lot of a lot of things. And Dr. Jane Foster in the movie, being a scientist to the stars or of the stars kind of thing. So the differentiation in, in that character. No, I don't think... We could have found a better, they could have found a better person. Yeah, same here. I mean, she, the the interactions between the two characters are phenomenal, and it works so well. So yep. they they could not have found a better actress. The only thing I think could ensue, maybe had in the comics, not caught up to them all, is the Thor-Jane Foster relationship and possibly the Thor-Lady Sif relationship which is more fleshed out or separated in the comics and the animated series, that when he's Thor, the relationship, the female interest is Sif. But as Don Blake, it's Jane Foster. Now, let me ask you a question. In the movies, we don't have the whole, if someone holds the hammer, they transform into this character. They don't have that yet, which give them time, they might. Because, you know, we've been seeing a subtle hints towards Beta, uh, Beta Ray Bill. You never know. Uh what yeah. I want to know is Natalie Portman is gone out of the movies and could maybe we see down the line her do the storyline in the film where the character gets cancer, she's dying, and she grabs the hammer and becomes Thor. That's a ways, I think, 
a ways down the line. But it could make an interesting movie because yeah. then we end up getting the whole Thor, you know, Chris Hemsworth not being Thor. He doesn't have the power anymore, and he's looking on seeing this new person. Possibly, but yeah, that's still in the in the brain thinking development. Nothing on paper. I would think I would watch it if that was for Thor. Oh, for Thor, Thor four. I just went dyslexic. Thor four. Could it work? We don't know. But I would like to see that. Now, also going back to Jeff's question, should they have spent more time in Asgard in the first movie? Now, I'm going with yes, to be completely honest. I think it should have been evened out, you know, half of the film in Asgard, second half of the film on Earth. How much more in Asgard did you need to have established, though, and to bring out? I know, but I feel like they could have utilized... You got a, se- you got a sense of what it was about, that place, what they do, who's good, who's not good, who they fight, and how how order is brought about or tried to. So I was okay with it. I'm, in general, going to be one who goes along with what is presented to to me. And if you're that opposed, it's it's a stretch here, but that opposed to certain things, then, you know, you would do it your way if yeah. you had the resources. I think a decent amount of time was spent in Asgard, at least for this first trial, first outing. I'll make my own casino with blackjack and hookers and, you know what? Forget yeah. the blackjack. Forget the casino. That goes to, I can't think of what now. I'm going with Futurama. Futurama, okay. But anyway, final question from Jeff. Is Hemsworth and Hiddleston the best pairing in the Marvel movie universe? If it's not, it's pretty damn close. Yeah, they they work so well off of each other yeah. to the point where it's a love-to-hate relationship between the two and hate-to-love. And isn't it also it's, it's sort of a, a lighter take on that in the beginning, I think, of Thor Ragnarok? Yeah. As they're characterizing it sort of or or doing a play about about this. What I love about the relationship between the two characters is there are points where they get close to being brothers and loving each other as brothers. You know what I mean? Like being mm. close. And then immediately, nope, something else. Well, how about in what's his name? What's the other movie then when they're walking side by side and uh, Loki is changing his character to Captain America to Dark World? There you go. Dark World in the second one. Yes. And yeah, I think just that playfulness of them, that works. And again, it's legit the best pairing. Actually, same thing too. And this is again, Dark World reference when there's pilot Thor is piloting, piloting that ship. And Loki's saying, you sure you know how to fly this thing? To be quiet, brother. Yeah. So also our final question comes to us from Joseph Abraham. And he wants to know, is the relationship between Natalie Portman's Jane Foster and Chris Hemsworth's Thor, was it really needed, the romance, like all that romance in this film? To attract the female audience, absolutely. That makes sense. To bring that in, that. yes. And the young at heart and the soft-hearted kind of, you know, viewer and have that be in there as well. Sure, it didn't hurt to have that in there, I don't feel. And that continued in the second one, and you were gone for this amount of time. Oh, no, it was only this, you know, and kind of thing. To the point where, yes, you had to establish him as being very close so that when he said he was going, he would be back. But then destroying the Rainbow Bridge. Forgive me, Jane, you know, for breaking that up. But that was the only way to stop that whole world's apart thing. Yeah, right. I, I definitely think it was needed, and it was that level of it. I mean, honestly... I didn't see too many problems with the romance between the characters because it wasn't that, like, it wasn't that, hey, everybody, look at this. It was everything else all tied together. Everything had equal importance. Very good balance. Absolutely. And you know what else is a really good balance? Our number on Facebook of the number of likes that we have right now. Ooh. That we'd like to see keep going up, by the way. Just saying, people out there. Before we go, let's go through our social media rigmarole. Do it. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash themarvelists. Give us a like ski on there. We are currently at a very good amount, and we'd like to see that number go up and up and up. So if you can, go on Facebook and invite your friends that might like this show to check it out. Get some more ears over here. Get some more eyes on the Facebook and Twitter pages and Instagram and all that good stuff. Everything. We want, you know, like I said, we want our universe to merge with your universe. Facebook.com slash The Marvelous. Twitter at The Marvelists. Myself at Peter Melnick on Twitter. Myself at EWilson959. You can also find us, like I said, on Instagram at The Marvelists. Drop us an email, themarvelists at gmail.com. Like the show, like I said. Tell us what you think. Send us questions. We may save, you know, a little bit of time. 
do a little bit of a mailbag, you know, when we compile enough emails. And yeah, also go on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Let people know you like the show, share it on social media, maybe even include like a little hashtag like hashtag the marvelous so you know we know you're listening. Like I said, and on the, on the other show, Audible Exquisite, spread the word like Nutella. So now, Eddie, what is the next movie we're going to be watching? Next up, Captain America, The First Avenger. From 2011, starring Chris Evans, not Chris Hemsworth. So it's a level of Chris's. There's a lot of Chris's in this uh, cinematic universe. That's right. Notice. Let's not forget about Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. I love Chris Pratt. Uh, Just tastes delicious. Pratt worst. Yeah. It worst, is the Brad worst reference he's made, Peter Melnick. Oh, my stars and garters. So, for Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. Who else could he be? I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior.